podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. So Santos, I haven't seen you in a long time. What's up, man? Yeah, man. It's been a little bit. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'll tell you that um, I- I'm getting a little... Winter's... It's it's settling in a little bit after yeah. this last storm. It's wearing you down? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it hasn't been that bad of a winter. We just got this past storm for like a... You know, we got like a foot of snow, something like that. And just spend the last couple days, I'm like, I can't fucking can't deal like i don't do well like i enjoy like if if it's if i don't have anything to do like if i can just be outside enjoying like the snow if i go out to the park or if i go you know which is rare i'll admit right. um but just like day to day parking getting out of the car walking to the thing it, it's it's a shit show for me it's not good I, and here's the admission is footwear is an issue for me like i don't do well all I wear is Vans. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Those are not winter shoes. It's, they, they do make, like, winterized Vans. I've got them. Yeah. But even those are, like, kind of... You, well, what, like, they're, they're like, kind of, like, pull-up, like... Oh, well, I've got, I've got, like, um, high-top Vans that are, like, the skate highs, but they they're have, um, like, fur lining. North Face. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they also have, like, the... 3M, like, water repellent. I have, like I yeah. got those, I yeah. got those. I think those are awesome. They're, I mean, they're not the warmest ever. No, no, they are, they are awesome. Yeah. That's as deep as I get for winter footwear. Right. Like, um, and it's a pain in the ass, because I don't, like, I've been wearing slip-on somewhere, I just want to take it off, and I'm done. Right. So, I just end up putting, like, just slip-ons on, and... <laughs> It sucks. I mean, it unless it just snowed a bunch, or or the snow's melting. Like for, the thing is, you can get away with that for most of the winter. You can. It's, yeah. it's I mean, when, it's true. they're pretty good about getting the sidewalks and stuff clear here. No, here. no, for sure. Like they, I mean, everything is. I mean, but still, yeah. It's, when it when they do get wet, it's a pain. I got, I've been keeping, you know, for the last couple of years. I'm like, I gotta get like a winter sport happening. You know, get a. Yeah. Uh, some cross country skiing or some, I mean, the skating is like, they flood every single, but for anybody that's not from here, they flood every park with yeah. like three inches of water. Yeah. And it's like a perfect skating rink. The park, my, my neighborhood park, they have, and I'm sure it's not unique, but I was shocked to see it. They have a hose that runs out to the edge of the park and, and parks and rec comes out and they hose down the whole thing. Every couple days, so there's a half an inch of ice, and right. it's just Clear like, ice. like super yeah. sweet ice all the time. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I feel like I'm old, and I'll break some shit if I fall. I'm like, I'm like, you're a you skated since you were in skating. short pants. Yeah, exactly. I started in first grade and went all the way, through, and then we're like college, almost yeah. semi pro hockey player. So you're not like I'm. I'm a joke. Like yeah. you're fine on a pair of skates. <laughs> I'm like a walking hip replacement yeah. on a pair of skates. Yeah, even even said, like, my mentality towards winter is, for me, it's like an excuse. It's a time when no one bugs me or guilts me about not going outside. That's <laughs> what I like about it. <laughs> I like to, like, hunker down and read books and watch movies and, like, sit by the fireplace. And, and not like, feel guilty. Wear slippers and a hoodie or whatever, you know, and, like, curl up under a blanket and not feel remotely guilty about it. Fucking A, yeah. But then, in the rare occasions when Nicole and the girls twist my arm and they're like, let's go sledding or let's go skate on the pond, I'm like, it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's not my pro- it's not my first instinct to, like, get out there and, like, really make the most of winter like everyone does here, but right. when I do do it, it's pretty fantastic. And as winters go, this one's been pretty mild. It has been mild, and also as winters go, like, you can bitch and complain. I've spent winters in a lot of places where a lot of different types of winters and this one up here um is cold as shit normally so you get like you don't get that brown gray gnarly boston snow right that's just like a bummer from fucking thanksgiving to whenever like it's bright and cold here the other thing i have to say that i have grown to really appreciate because everyone i think you know, besides people that live north of here, which isn't very much the United States, 
No. That lives in northern Minnesota. Anyone who isn't from, like, far northern Minnesota, when they hear you live in Minneapolis, just gives you a ton of shit about the weather. But Why? Because we, where it's, like, the tropics it's, here? It's just been, been known to be, like, the coldest place ever. Like, it's really cold. I'm sure they give people from Buffalo, New York, the same shit. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I have to say, we've been traveling a lot to Cleveland, and there's something about it being in the lake. It's much wetter. And even though it's probably 5 to 10 degrees warmer at any time, it feels so much colder. Oh, yeah. Bitterly cold. So at least here it's like a dry cold. It's totally true. So, and anybody that's lived in the Bay Area can tell you. Oh, yeah. That shit will freeze you to the bone. I mean, yeah. You, not only have, do you have that, the like wet winter, but none of the houses are... Or apartments are probably insulated. None of them have There's heat. no heat. Yeah. yeah. So you li- out in the yeah. avenues, like you're yeah, you're just freezing fucking homes off. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sure. So other than that, man, things are good. Things are good. I do want to tell you in the vein of the time of year. So I got um I got some chili here. So <laughs> this weekend is uh, Super Bowl. Um, as a New England fan, you know, a New England sports fan, yeah. um. As usual, you're either rooting for your team or you're rooting for the team that beat your team. Right. So I got the Super Bowl coming up. Made this batch of chili last night. Um, Sorry, I just hit the mic. So here's where I'm at. Um, It's, for the first time, first batch ever, it's kind of soupy. Like, it's got... Mm. I've never made it this soupy before because I was braising in... I did two batches, two big batches... Um, our our nanny and, and her husband are are having a Super Bowl party, so I did a batch for them and I did a batch for us. Oh, and by the way, be careful that bowl I gave you. That's got a habanero in there. I okay. noticed it's, <laughs> there's a whole habanero in there, Shit. which that will fucking catch up with you. Um, so as much as anything, I'm not bringing this forward as. Like, a chili that's going to knock your socks off. Because, honestly, this needs... It's too thin, but I did it ahead of time so I can adjust before mm-hmm. Sunday. What do you think? And So this is this needs improvement. It needs salt, I think. Definitely salt. Absolutely needs salt. What do you do to thicken this? What can I do to thicken this? You know, you could not thicken it and cook some rice and maybe do like a lime a lime cilantro rice or something and serve it over the rice instead of worrying about thickening the chili might be really good it's a great idea except i got some people coming over that are whole 30 oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um okay um because the other thing the, the thing that is um so, kind of a deal, like thickening with masa, um, is like th- that's a type of chili that I have not made with that has like masa kind of incorporated in the chili. Again, does not can people do that? No, no that's a, not a whole thirty thing. Either. <laughs> they cannot. <laughs> they cannot. But I could probably sneak. I I could maybe fool you with that one. Yeah. You know? Um. Let me think. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can always reduce it. Yeah. That's what I would do. Otherwise, um... I mean, it's not terrible. It's not like it's no. soup. Definitely not. Needs salt. What, what... Something else, though. Like... The heat is close. I think it would be really nice if you're not going to do, like, the cilantro lime lice. Just a little citrus to brighten it up, I think. Oh, the, really nice. good call. That's a great call. It absolutely needs acid. No no doubt. Mm-hmm. Those two things right there might do it. I think they might. So what what kind of when you're when you're making a chili, what do you what kind of beef or what are you using? How are right. you cooking your beef? So <laughs> funny you should ask. So I always do a browning, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. You sear, then you go in for the braise. Um and being the dead of winter, can't open any windows. I have a shit sort of fan situation in the kitchen. 
So I started doing this thing, like, it was about three weeks ago. I forget what I was doing. I think we had a chili cook-off at work. I think that's what kicked it off. Oh, right. Um, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got, I got cast iron skillets. I got, like, turkey fryers. The ones that just have the, you know, it's just basically the big propane burner. Mm-hmm. I go out in the garage, pour a glass of whiskey, cigar. I'm out there with a cast iron skillet in the garage. It's a fucking party. I'm out there... I'm like, you can just destroy it because in the kitchen I would be like, oh shit, I'm splattering grease everywhere. I'm dumping, this is outside cooking. Right. Dead of winter. Nice. Oh my God. So I got addicted to it. And then now all I do, I got a grill pan out there. I got a regular cast iron skillet. I'm grilling steaks out there, hamburgers, any excuse to get outside in burn meat in the garage in the garage smells like <laughs> it's so bad I shit you not Beth really? is yeah Beth is so done she's over it she's like you gotta be shitting me cause she's she parks in the garage in the winter right um it's so bad and so I drove her car over here <laughs> tonight um um it's so bad like the garage reeks the windows are rolled up in the car and the still when I was when I pulled out, like I was driving the car and, and I was like, Holy shit, fuck it. It smells in the car. It smells like fucking like yeah. the back room of Peter Luger's and right. this fucking yeah. thing. Like it's fucking gnarly. So That's ah, amazing. So I torch the shit in there. I I you know what I mean, I brown it hard. And that's right. why and if you if you look, that's got a nice sear yeah, on it. It does. You can't get that inside. Yeah. I don't yeah. care who you are. You're not right. getting that inside. That shit True. is hot, hot, hot. The, that, that pan is fucking 700 degrees. It takes me right. two minutes. You know what I mean? Right. I got a special jacket I wear <laughs> because you're covered. Is it made out of asbestos? No, no, but it's just like an old winter jacket. And I just hang, I leave it hanging outside because yeah. it just reeks. It smells. R- reeks it, like a meat factory. Totally, man. This shit's gnarly. But I've been, I've been doing all right out there. So then I brown everything. I get a nice big tub from Restaurant Depot. Everything goes in there. Come back inside and then I get after and I, wow. I do my braids. Yeah. That's serious, man. I'm not fucking around. Yeah. Not fucking That's around. awesome. Did you ever watch the Chef's Table series on Netflix? Did you ever get into that? We've talked about this. In... There's this dude in The Chef who was like a French-trained, you know, he was down in Patagonia, like basically trying to mimic um, French cuisine and just like kind of bastardizing it a little bit. Mm. And he made a fancy dinner for some client, a French client who had come in and hired him to make a big fancy dinner for all these French execs and... This guy pulled him after, aside afterwards and was like, what you're doing is a disgrace to French cooking. Seriously? And he like, sort of had this come-to-Jesus sort of realization that he, would, there was, he was in, down in Patagonia. He was in this culture that had all these like, amazing ingredients and this rich cooking heritage, and he had just abandoned it all to try to chase being a fancy French chef. Because yep. for a, a while, like, pretty much throughout the world, the only idea of, like, you know, high-class, you know, Michelin cooking was, like, French. It's considered the benchmark. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So he stopped that, and he, uh, in this documentary, he pretty much exclusively cooks outside on open fires, on, under, you know, open flame, like, burying stuff in the ground, you know, in flame pits and cooking, suspending. He'd just, like, use all these tree limbs and build an apparatus to suspend meat over this, like, massive bed of coals. damn it. And when you describe what you're doing in your garage, that's what it reminded me of. I was oh like, God. wow, you're going, you're getting getting yeah. after it. You know, oh. I, watching this, the guy inspired me so much to just be like, I'm just going to go build a fire pit in the backyard and right. like cook all sorts of stuff over this fire pit. Yeah. Like, what more do you need? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. I've built pizza ovens before. Right. And it's like, and you can do everything. There's nothing you can't do in a pizza oven. Right. I can make an omelet in a pizza oven. Right. Yeah, you That's can. Amazing. Fuck, man. 
In another life, that would have been. I could have. I could have. I, I hey, could have been a it's contender. It's not too late. Could have. It's, it's not so, too late. Sounds like you're making it happen in the garage. <laughs> you just need to push it a couple steps further. And... Exactly. Get a couple more burners. Yeah. Yeah, and get Bite Squad to stop at the garage. Yeah. Just get on go. the fucking menu, and yeah. I'm rolling. <laughs> Tell me what, what's happening here. Um. So this this sort of through fate just ended up kind of pairing nicely with your chili. I've got a, a Chianti here, a 2010 Chianti. It's a Barone Ricasoli. Okay. Chianti. Let me see. There you go. And uh, this is one that I got um, for anyone who's a wine lover out there and hasn't discovered Lot 18 yet. It's a really great uh, yes. site online for buying wines. They've got great deals on wines. They're going straight to the wineries a lot You're of the time. You're the one who turned me out of that. So uh, you can get really great deals. They just have really, you know, there's a lot of different places you can buy wine online. I feel like they haven't, they like hand pick and they have an impeccable selection. Like they don't have a ton of wine. It's not like a wine warehouse. It's a very curated set. And I feel like they have really good deals. And oftentimes they'll go for like this Chianti. I think I got like a half case uh-huh. of it or something like that. And, you know, you're getting six bottles for like around a hundred bucks or something like yeah. fifteen or something. Yeah. You know, and it's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's nice. I like I like Chianti. I and love it's Chianti. Like kind of when people think of I think it got a bad rap in the seventies well, and eighties as the basket bottle, yeah. yeah. But it's a it's a solid wine. I think there's a lot to be enjoyed there. Yeah, it's dry. Right, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's way more drinkable, and you don't get into crazy fucking cab world where right you got to deal with all kinds of bullshit. You know, yeah, it's got it's got a nice body to it. Like you said, it's it's kind of is very balanced. It's not too dry. It's not too fruity. It's not. Nah, it's not in Pinot yeah. world. Right. This is, but still, it's pop yeah. it and pour it like For a sure. Pinot. Yeah, absolutely. Love this thing. So, all right, all right man. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? So for this episode. You know, every once in a while, we we get a little, a little, little finicky, a little picky. You think? With the theme, and this this <coughs> this week, I I will admit that we're we're going a little, little. This is a little high, sort of hyper focused. Which but, I like. I feel like we do our best work. Yeah, not I, our best, but I think I think we do good work there. I think it's useful and to get to things that you might otherwise not talk about. Yeah, for sure. Um. So this week, uh, the theme was. To pick three narratives that are transposed into another era, another format, another time. So what we mean by that is not someone, there was a book, The Martian, and someone created the film, The Martian. That's that's a film adaptation. We're not really talking about an adaptation. We're talking about taking something like a classic story or a classic theme and completely recontextualizing it. Exactly. Um, so if you think of, for example, Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven, that's the kind this of stuff a reinterpretation yep. to a different time, a different place, different context, different yeah. context. Yep. Exactly. So that's what we're talking about. It's so, nice. That this is a super fun topic. And you say three, I've got one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so I got fucking. Holy shit. I'm not going to hit them all hard. That's amazing. But, and, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to like drop them. We'll just drop, I'll drop them as we go. Cool. And I won't fucking burn up. I have, I have two that are like, two that are narratives or books that like launched a ton of different stuff. Like many, many things. And really? I just, I just picked one. Oh, killer. Each. And then I have one that's like a very specific, you know, um, a specific passion of these particular filmmakers where they went back and just kind of pastiched several books, actually. Very cool. Into cool. I, I have so. no books. Oh, okay. I've got movies and I got and I got right. songs. Well, two of mine are movies as well. Cool. But uh, um, So where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Who starts? I'll, I'll kick it off first. All right, cool. So um, my first is a book called The 10,000 by this author, Paul Kearney, and it came out in 2008. Do you, the ten thousand does that mean anything to you? It's I, I mean it's vaguely familiar. I, I if you ask me, I couldn't tell you. The, both the, Paul Kearney and the, the ten thousand, I do I have right. heard of. I don't know. So um, the ten thousand is based on 
a book, an ancient Greek book called Anabasis. Yeah. That was written by a, a professional Greek soldier who was one of the 10,000. Um, and his name was Xenophon. And so he accompanied this large army of Greek mercenaries that was hired by Cyrus the Younger, who was the younger brother in an imperial family, the royal family of Persia. So basically, the Cyrus the Younger was pissed that his older brother was the one who inherited the kingdom. So he went to Greece and got these 10,000 elite soldiers and brought them back to Persia and basically marched to the capital and was going to kill his brother. Dude. So this... This story of these 10,000 warriors and that um, is captured by Xenophon and Anabasis has been made into countless numbers of other things and countless reinterpretations, um, including, I was really interested to see this, the 1979 cult film The Warriors is based on characters from Anabasis. Get the fuck and out. And they kind of have that, like, so the whole thing is what happens is in... in um, Anabasis, these 10,000 warriors, these elite warriors, they're marching on, on this kingdom, and they're just destroying this this larger Persian army, because the Persian army is not largely not made of professional soldiers, it's largely made of slaves, mm -hmm. and these Greek warriors with the shield walls and the way that they fight, and these phalanxes are just so much better organized that they're just slaughtering. You know, it's like, for to take down one of these Greek soldiers, they're, it's costing them hundreds attrition. of lives. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. um, and these warriors are, are marching. They've got this guy who's basically, he's given them some money, but he's promised like, when I take over this kingdom, I'm, I'm going to do right by you. You'll all be rich me on your wildest dreams. Well, this guy decides in the middle of this war that he's not content to, um, just hang back and let these guys take care of it. And he rushes forward and basically gets himself killed. And as soon as he's killed, the whole thing is like a fool's errand. So they scatter. Point. So they have to march back to the coast with this giant army chasing them. And it's this whole thing where they have to make it to the sea and get back. And So you might know this famous phrase, upon seeing the water, they all cry, the sea, the sea. And yes. they use that in lots of other films and books and stuff. So anyways, if you think about the warriors, it's they go to this big meeting. Oh my God. This guy's yeah. murdered and they have to make it back to their territory. And that's like, so it's a kind of a simplified version of the same story. These these Greek warriors are just trying to get back to Greece. And they're trying to make it through, like, they're deep in enemy territory. Is that like a, is that like an attributed sort of, like, the warriors, that's amazing that that, that is actually, like, tied yeah. to, to a, a real, like, ancient storyline. So, uh, in Paul <laughs> Kearney's book, The 10,000, he basically takes... This story, and he transposes it into this fantasy world where there's this race of warriors called the Macht, M-A-C-H-T, and this guy who's the younger son comes and um, gets these warriors, basically, and hires them, you know. The story largely plays out the same. I had never read Anabasis, so when I read it, for me, I was, like, you know, eating this up. It's, it's a really cool story. It's, like, for anyone who... And this is sort of the events that preceded, you know, the events of what we all have now, you know, seen in 300, which, by the way, if you haven't read the Frank Miller graphic novel, the mm. 300, instead of, instead of watching the film, or in addition to watching the film, you should go read the Frank Miller graphic novel, because it's one of the best graphic novels of all time. It absolutely and is. And it's a very quick read. Yep. So, I feel like, you know, because that's the Persian army, that's, you know, um, what's his ass... Uh, Xerxes right. coming, you know, and basically conquering the world. So it's kind of like, in a way, his like f you back to the Greeks for getting involved in Persian politics is like coming back and conquering them as well. Right. Well, that was the Spartans, right? Yep. Um, which is the Greek. Um, so, all right. So sorry. So this the ten thousand. This book. Yep. Um, takes is it in the same time period? Um, it's. The 10,000 is roughly the same time period. He just, like, transposes the context to this other fantasy world, basically. Oh, it's, so it's a... F okay. Yeah. But there are other people, like, there's a, um, a series called The Lost Fleet that's a famous sci-fi series by a writer, John G. Hemery, that's also based on the 10,000. And if you go to the Wikipedia page and you look at this, there's, like, a list of books and movies at the end that's, like, all these things are based on the 10,000. You know, clickety-clickety-clack. So, um, there's a ton of stuff that's been based on this. Um, this is super interesting. Yeah. 
Wow, in, uh, in one, brand new to me. One story spawns like a whole ton of cultural references and for a whole sure. Bunch of and stuff. this is exactly what we're talking about here. So spell Anabasis. It's A N A B A S I S. And for anyone who wants to read it, you can get it for free on the Kindle. It's like a one of those public Creative domain common. classic books. Yeah, so you can read Anabasis and. You know, if if you read the Odyssey and you read the Iliad and you liked it, so you're you know, familiar with that. It's yeah, that kind it's of like read that level of read. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's good. I after reading it, the um, he ends up turning it into a trilogy of books. Like kind of, he builds off the story of the Ten Thousand and then has these kind of these legendary sort of society of warriors that he takes other places in this narrative and. The rest of the trilogy is really good as well, so really, I highly recommend it to anyone, especially people that are into like you know military fiction and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. It's really good. He does a really good job of it's. It's always hard with these like books that are based on like you know a whole big wars and stuff like that to to make it personal and to see it through the eyes of a few characters. And he does a really good job. Interesting. That, so. Oh wow, yeah, that is a very difficult thing to do. So yeah, it's well done. Um, so for anyone out there, the 10,000 by Paul Kearney, or you can check out the original source material Anabasis, which tells the same story, um, from the, it's kind of fascinating that it was like written by one of the guys who was there. Right. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. Right. One of the one of the 10,000. Yeah. Fucking A. Cool. So let me, um, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know. I think what I might do here is kind of hit on a couple of. Because, like I said, I got I got a little bit of a list here, and I think I'm going to hit on a couple of obvious ones um, that maybe you know you had avoided, or I would normally have not put on the list. But just want to in, in this, you know, in Go this, on. yeah, in this sort of um, topic, like I want to touch on. So I think the super like obvious one is um, well, there's a few, but. The first one that came to my mind is Apocalypse Now. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and for me, one of my, in this genre or whatever we're talking about, like, yep. probably, m w like, one of my favorites, because I read The Heart of Darkness before I saw Apocalypse Now. Right. And I was absolutely terrified and mortified by The Heart of Darkness. Like, it's it... it changed I was terrified by it it's so scary and not because anything it's just the way that Conrad writes like that right. shit is deep dark and mysterious and it feels like I don't know it feels like there's some evil that's buried in there that you're never gonna understand and Apocalypse Now I mean I won't even go into the making of the movie because it's legend at this point, but right. it does such an incredible job of reinterpreting the heart of darkness in another time period, albeit the same geographical place, um, for the most part. Yeah. Well, actually, no, that's not true because the heart of darkness is on the Ivory Coast. Africa to Vietnam, yeah. It's on the Ivory Coast. So, sorry, Apocalypse yeah. Now is in, in Vietnam. Um, but, I mean, Brando... It's so fucking great, right? So, wanted to call out that, because it's one of the best. Um, so what do you think about the, of the new versions that have come out since the original screening of the film? Like, Redux? Yeah. In, oh, I think Redux is great. Yeah. That, oh. That additional scene where they stop off at the French plantation. Love that. Yeah. Love that, because it's the first nod... In, so in the original Apocalypse Now, we have no context of the French sort of influence on, yeah. on you know, in in the war. Besides Bon Me. Besides Bon Me, <laughs> exactly. So we don't we don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's yeah, a, no, hardly anyone ever talks about that. No one ever talks about that, so right. it's very As interesting. an American, at least. We like As to think we're the first fuckers ever to go in there and jack it up. Exactly, yeah. And then, lo and behold, oh, fuck, the French are already here. Right. Um, so, excuse me. This wine, I love this wine. Um, so, let me call out another kind of, and, and hopefully, it, it sounded like you may have been alluding to this, and if you did, we'll hold off on it, but 
Um, the other super obvious, um, not obvious one, but I think one of the great ones at the top of the list here is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That uh, was second on my list. Okay, great. Well, let's leave it then and let's talk okay. about it in a minute. Um, let me talk about um, one of my, uh, a great pick that came to mind almost immediately too, which is um, Steve Martin in Roxanne. Oh, yeah. So, um, so Steve Martin, um, Roxanne is a reinterpretation of Cyrano de Bergerac. Right. Um, Cyrano de Bergerac is a endlessly witty character with skills, uh, physical skills abounding, wit that will match, unmatched, right? Um, but he has a nose that is six inches long. Yeah. And it's his cross to bear, and he is unlucky in love as a result of it. And he, you know, because he's kind of a good person, helps other men succeed because of his sort of... Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to hit a couple of... um, I got a couple of clips here I want to play. There's this great scene in Roxanne that's one of the hits in, in the movie... And it wasn't until I started digging in here that I realized that it was an exact pull from Cyrano. So I'm, I'm going to play the Cyrano um, clip here first, and I, I won't I won't belabor it. But um, basically, the 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 setting is um, Cyrano is in a tavern, and somebody some dolt makes just like the most heavy-handed, stupid, like I think it's literally like your nose is big. And then Cyrano, like, turns around and just owns him by, like, listing off all of these, like, super witty jokes making fun of his own nose. And it's it's awesome. So, here, check out. This is from the original, um, this is from the original Cyrano de Bergerac. That was pretty fucking sweet. All right, here you go. <laughs> Your nose is rather large. Rather. Oh, well. Is that all? Well, of course Ah, you... no, young sir, you're too simple. Why, you might have said a great many things. Why waste your opportunity? For example, thus. Aggressive. I, sir, if that nose were mine, I'd have it amputated on the spot. Practical. How do you drink with such a nose? You must have had a cup made especially. Descriptive. Tis a rock, a crag, a cape. A cape? Say rather a peninsula. Inquisitive. What is that receptacle? A razor case or a portfolio? <laughs> Kindly. Alright, so there's Cyrano. There's Cyrano's kind of like, you know, giving shit to this dude who's like breaking balls over the big nose. But here's I'm gonna play the, the, the Steve Martin version in Roxanne, which I think we can all kind of relate to a little bit better. And it's fucking awesome. It's a... with, uh, obvious. Excuse me, is that your nose or did a bus park on your face? <laughs> uh, meteorological. Everybody take cover. She's going to blow. <laughs> Fashionable. You know, you could de-emphasize your nose if you wore something larger, like Wyoming. Oh. <laughs> Personal. Well, here we are. Just the three of us. Punchline. All right, Delman, your nose was on time, but you were 15 minutes late. Indeed. <laughs> I wish I were you. Gosh, to be able to smell your own ear. So there's Steve Martin. Um, genius, right? Steve Martin is genius yep. across the board. And, and I would say uh, Roxanne is... It, yeah. It's a great, it's a great, great movie, and uh, and a great, it really is. Yeah. It's it's so well done. Um, and I'm a huge fan of his. Like, we we haven't talked about L.A. Story yet, which is one of my favorite movies. We have to get into that yeah. at some point. But anyway, um, Roxanne uh, doing Cyrano. All right, let's um, talk about uh, Oh Brother, We're Out There for a second. So, yes, please, yes, so, yes. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out in 2000. Uh, as many people probably know, and if you aren't aware, that's a shame. It's obviously based on, it's a reinterpretation, a very clever reinterpretation, I think, of The Odyssey. 
Extremely. And what I love about it is not only do they pay homage to the Odyssey and do it in a very creative way with, you know, turning the guy who records their band into Homer and, you know, the sirens are, you know, this group of, um, you know. The laundrettes, they're, yeah. they're watching their, yep. Yep. And uh, singing a classic sort of, um, it's a Carter family tune, I think, that they sing, right? Go to sleep, you little baby. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's a Carter family too. I bet it is, yeah. So what's fascinating with this film is not only are they doing Ulysses, but they're also weaving in lots of kind of homage to bluegrass. like the, Southern culture. The, the Tim Blake Nelson character is on the run because he robbed a pig wiggly in a, uh, in a town called Yazoo, and Yazoo Records was like one of the famous labels that recorded a lot of the bluegrass and blues records. Uh, coming out, coming out of the south. Yeah, in um, in all the in all of the political, um, like, like the uh, the misgivings, like all of the, yep. the corruption in like southern politics at the time, and yeah, the Ku Klux Klan for sure. And there's um, the Cool Hand Luke reference with the sheriff, you know, sort of the the sort of devil character with the. With the no eyes. That he well, every time you see him, there's yeah. a reflection of fire in his right. eyes, in yeah. his in his mirrored sunglasses. And uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys evidently was based on a real bluegrass band called the Foggy Mountain Boys. Uh, uh, so did not know that. A, an, even an homage there, which is interesting. But I just love the the whole way it's um, done, and they, it's ha- they so have like clever. all the characters, you know. Well, you've got the the guy at the the um, the guy on the railroad at the very beginning who plays the Theseus and yep, like whatever character, the one that's kind of like about telling, you know, telling Homer as he's about to take off. He's like, "Well, this is going to happen. That's going to happen," and then calls out something super specific, which in the Odyssey I don't remember what it is, but um, oh, sorry, not Homer, Ulysses. Um, he's like, uh, and, but in, oh, brother, where aren't they? They call out the cow on a, on a roof. Right. And and they're like, how the fuck is there going to be a cow on a roof? Right. And I love the, um, the way that they play the Penelope character as sort of like a reluctant, like she has a completely, completely different attitude about the George Clooney character. And and her name's Penny. Yeah. Her name's Penny in the movie, which is so great. Penny Warby McGill. (laughs) Any his ex-wife, you know, and he's like trying to get back to her, and she's like kind of reluctantly. But they have the suitors, you know. Uh, he's a at suitor. The same time, yeah, <laughs> he's a suitor. And they've got all the classic characters. Well, you've got the Cyclops and John Goodman, yeah, which is a brilliant way to the traveling salesman with the eye patch and oh. It's a great movie. I mean, there's so many good things about it. You know, not the. It's it's better than a good movie. That's oh, that's a perfect yeah. movie. The soundtrack is it's amazing. A, it's a the perfect. musical performances are great. The the color. Um, the movie's perfect. Ralph Stanley singing "Oh Death" a cappella in that um, oh. uh, Ku Klux Klan burning cross scene is like unbelievable. It's a show show stopping performance. It's a perfect movie. I mean, I've seen that thing. I've seen it as many times as... Actually, I've seen it more than The Big Lebowski. Hmm. Just because it's on TV all the time, you know what right. I mean? And it's one of those ones that when it you, it comes on, you're like... You're glued to it because it's... How how can you look away? I mean, fucking George Clooney. And there's so many other... Well, his name is Ulysses, actually, yeah. in the movie. Ulysses right. something Grant or whatever. And and um, and then there's like the, the John Turturro's character... He's he pulls like his brother. There's so many like ties into stuff. Like his brother, who's a turncoat, it's, is named Judas. Yeah, Ulysses Everett McGill. Ulysses Everett, a man McGill. who's in prison for practicing law without a license. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Silver toothed, yeah, silver tongued character. Yeah, um, that that thing is unbelievable, man. And and are you psyched for the new one, the new Coen Brothers flip? Yeah, um, someone at work went and saw it and said it was enjoyable. Um, oh, I didn't even I know it opened. Really I thought it opened. Yeah, today. it opened Thursday. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, so yeah, it's just just opened. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think you know there there isn't any filmmaker that doesn't every once in a while 
um, come out with something that's not stellar, you know, in the, oh, in the longer yeah. careers they have. But I think they've made so many incredible films. Their track record is amazing, and I think they always do original and interesting stuff. And yeah, um, they're not making the same film over and over again, which is more than you can say for a lot of filmmakers. So. Oh fuck yeah! I mean, I've seen The Notebook twice. So, I mean, you fucking tell me. I can, yeah. That means I can see any Coen Brothers movie 40 fucking times yeah, make up for that. So, And I think their movies especially um, bear rewatching because you get so much out of them on you know, subsequent watches. So. And that's not, that's not just to say they're, they're high production dollar movies either. Because you go back and watch Blood Simple... Right. And that shit is deep as fuck. Like, yeah. there's shit in there. For sure. I've seen that movie eight, nine times at least, you know, and there's still just deep shit in there. Yeah. So, I mean, they're fucking masters. They're masters. For so, sure. so, I'm super glad that, uh, that we, that we both had that on the, on the list. Um, all right, well, man, let me, let me move yeah. on to... Rattle a few more off here. Let's go, yeah, let me, let me see what I got here. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to some songs. Yeah, actually, that's all I got left is songs. So, I'm gonna only do. Let me list off a couple that I think are kind of again maybe a little bit obvious. Um, probably the one that first came to mind, which is just like super popular, is one uh, Metallica from Johnny Got His Gun. Hmm. Right. Um. So. Johnny Got His Gun is an anti-war book written by Dalton Trumbo in the late 30s about a young man who was injured in the war, to say the least. He lost his arms, he lost his legs, he lost his eyes, nose, mouth, ears, he lost everything. So he's basically a... Bag of organs. Bag of organs and a brain. And he's left to deal with that, and the book is written from his point of view, where he's reminiscing back to childhood and remembering when he had all of his faculties. And it is torturous. The book is fucking torturous. It's... It's just so heartbreaking. Um, It's brutal. It, It... And... Well... Fuck, yeah, fuck it, I'll give it away. Like, what he wants to do, like, he tries to kill himself a number of times by just holding his breath, but he realizes that he has a tracheotomy, and he can't oh. even kill himself. So, he's like, I don't even know what to do now. So, the only thing that he can think to do is to just put me in a glass case and parade me around the country as an anti-war exhibit. So, he realizes, he can hear that there are some military officials in the VA hospital, and he starts pounding his head against the wall in Morse code to get through the message that he wants to be put in a glass case, and they don't let it happen, like, which is, like, the ultimate, like... Fuck you. <laughs> it's the ultimate, like, loss, but I think everyone has heard one. I'm, I'm not going to play it, but everyone's heard... Actually, fuck it. I'll play, I'll play just a second of it just to remind everybody... What, you know, what it is. Ah, shit. If it doesn't pull it up here fast, I won't. Um, but that's worth it, man. It's Metallica. They're, they're kind of pain in the balls, but it's Metallica. Um, I hope this is an MP3 you downloaded from Napster. This is some bullshit I got on fucking, like... <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. Now that you say that, I wish it was. Because I kind of, in a roundabout way, know that dude, and he's a little bit of a douche. So, anyway, one, we've all heard it. Let me talk um, about a couple of others that came to mind immediately. So, literary, um, not not to fucking hog the scene here, sorry. I'm going to drop these fast. Are you going to bring up Maiden? No, dude, I mean Maidens. Like, Maidens. That's practically all they do. Dude, that's all they do. So you got Maiden. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. You got Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner. Lonely. Yeah, good call. Are you a Maiden fan? I used to listen to Maiden when I was in, like, middle school. Yes, of course you did. We have to fucking talk about that. Because, yeah, that's Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner, which is. 
fucking long distance to say the least. That song's like fucking eight minutes long. <laughs> um, and I think "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner" is even longer. Oh, Isn't that like eleven to thirteen minutes. It's tears. It's brutal. Um, it, but made like they've got a thousand, and you know, and there's tons of like. I mean, everybody's done 1984. Everybody's done. Yep. You know what I mean? I Robot. Like there's a million yeah. of them, but. Um, some of the most interesting ones for me that I remembered immediately because they, I, the, um, discovery of the poem or the story or the novel arrived at the same time as I was discovering the band was the cure. Oh, right. So killing an Arab. Right. Um, I discovered like, it was just how life happened. Like I had just discovered Camus and right. Um, and had just kind of discovered the cure and, um, and I was like, oh man, you don't know. And that was like my thing. Cause I was so yeah. young. You know what I mean? It's like, no dude, killing an Arab is not racist. It's about, it's about the stranger. You don't even know. So I, you know, that's where I right. got on one of my first fucking high horses. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing shit. And then, um, another one is, um, how beautiful you are, which, um, which I completely forgot about until I started digging in a little bit on this, which is a, um, it's a pretty literal, like, to be honest, they're, they're literal, uh, reinterpretations of the original. So how beautiful you are is an interpretation of eyes of the poor, which is a Baudelaire poem. Mm -hmm. And anybody that knows Baudelaire knows that his poems are, are, um, prose, they're prose poems. So it's like, uh, you know, it's almost like a Bukowski kind of thing. I, I mean, People will slay me for saying that, but it's it's not really... It's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's not yep. necessarily an iambic pentameter right. or anything. It's not a sonnet. It's not a sonnet. Yeah, it's more... It's like the early origins of free free prose or free poetry, free verse. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. Yep. That's... Yep. From... Like take take from and, the pro... And he and the, Rambo. Yes. Rambo like, is the yeah. other one. Yeah. So, um... And it's, those are two super cool ones. So let me, um, go to a pick, um, though I, I feel like I'm taking too much time here, but this is a great one. And I, I do want to, I want to touch on it. Um, I have had, a like a, a years, decades long, like, and, and I discover this across all kinds of things, not just music, but across mainly music, but all kinds of things where I'm like, the punk rock me of 28 years old, like, is like fucking Springsteen hold his fucking head down in the toilet until we don't <laughs> have to hear from him again. Right. Because fuck you. Right. Springsteen, fuck you. And now as I am an older and somewhat more, like, understanding and, like, in and more willing to, like, accept something on its own merit... You know, as opposed you're, to like you're a, a boss su- enthusiast now. Fuck no, man. <laughs> but I am not, and I grudgingly have to say that some shit that he does is fucking genius, and you can't fucking you can't question that. You know what I mean? Like it's the same thing as the Beatles. Like for years, years, I I blamed the Beatles for the death of real rock and roll. You know what I mean? And we can talk what? about that another... Yes! No way. Dude, I did, and there's a... Like, I've got a whole thing. I don't any longer. I love the Beatles. I have always loved the Beatles, but I adopted this sort of, like, ideology about, like, you know, this is what they did. Sergeant Pepper versus, like, MC5, and, like, it's a whole fucking thing. We can get into it, but I won't divert from my, um... From, uh... This one, which I think is so great, um, The Ghost of Tom Joad, which was a record from, like, late 90s, I think, uh-huh. and it's a really great Springsteen record, and it's a great reinterpretation because um, what he does is he takes the, you know, the Dust Bowl story of the Grapes of Wrath, right, and he takes it and applies that same journey of hope and trying to find something new to a completely new generation in a completely new, like, pretty, maybe not geographically different place, but 
to a new set of modern people. And what he does that is super interesting is probably most of these reinterpretations do is they show you that no matter when they happen, it's still a very human struggle. And it's not so much when and where it happens. It's that it's happening between you and other forces. And right. And, um, I don't know. It's, 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 um, it's great. Let me, let me see if I, if I can, if I can't pull it up here fast. Um, my fucking links aren't working here. Here we go. Let's check this out for one second. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of scrub through a little bit here. Um, cause this is great. This. So there he is, man, the boss. Like I said, I'm not, like, I'm a, I'm a grudging, like, I'm a fan, like, just as I get older, I'm, I, you just realize, like, what an idiot you've been for so many years, like, rebelling against him for no good fucking reason, and it's like, that shit's great, like, that's, he does such good stuff, and that's a, I think that's a good reinterpretation. Nice. Alright, so I'll bust my last one out real quick here. Um... You know, we uh, obviously, uh, you know, sang the praises of the Coen brothers earlier. This is actually another Coen brothers film. Nice. Uh, Miller's Crossing. Oh, yeah, which talk is, to me. Uh, Miller's Crossing takes the Dashiell Hammett novels Red Harvest and The Glass Key. Yes. And then pulls a character, Eddie the Dane, from The Dane Curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a movie came out in 1990. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I'd probably stick it in my... If not in the top ten, it's perilously close. It's right on the border, if it's not in the top ten. Uh, came out in 1990, stars Albert Finney, Gabriel Byrne, John Turturro, and a number of other characters that you've seen scattered throughout you know, the Coen Brothers films as they are want to work with the same actors over and over again. Um, so what it is, is um, there's... Gabriel, the Gabriel Byrne character plays this like very politically savvy character who's, who's able to just... He manipulates the situation um, that he's in not through force but through like his wit and wile um, and it's uh, he is a member of this uh, sort of Irish mob and the town is sort of at war there's an Italian mob and the Irish mob and the Italians and the Irish are constantly at war he is the sort of um, consigliere to borrow the term from the Italian side of that battle to the Irish gangster um, but he's constantly trying to be recruited by the, the Italians because they realize how savvy he is and what an asset. If it wasn't for him, you know, they probably would have, you know, put the Irish in the ground a long time ago. So um, it's really fascinating. There's so many great things about the film, the, mm. you know, Prohibition oh, area, era gangster setting. Uh, there's a brilliant scene where um, the Italians send... Uh, a set of like hitters to take out the Albert Finney character and he's sitting in bed smoking and listening oh to God. this big operatic piece which sets sort of the soundtrack for the scene and you think that they're going to get him uh, until the last minute he jumps under the bed 
shoots this guy in the foot and ends up like taking these guys out. And as the last guy squeals away in this car, there's this brilliant scene and the cinematographer and this is brilliant where he picks up this Thompson, uh, Tommy gun that one of the guys had and just like guns this car down and it crashes and like starts on fire. It's uh, that's an unforgettable. Which then one of the guy who is like sort of in the top tier of the this character actor with this mustache who plays one of the big Irish support guys has this brilliant line where he turns to the Gabriel Byrne character as they're sort of surveying the scene of the damage and says the old man always was an artist with a Thompson. <laughs> that's <laughs> Which right. I think it's just a brilliant line. So there's something about this that's really interesting that reminds me of Yojimbo as well, actually, and sort of pays homage to that. It's like Yojimbo and like that story is all about this person who comes in who's able to, through skill, manipulate one side against each other. Exactly. To his ultimate advantage. That's exactly the story. And, um, that's yeah. exactly what the Gabriel Byrne character Jesus, is doing. I've never made that connection. In this situation, so... If you is, that, is, that, is that your... And not that it matters to me. I mean, you're as much of an authority as I ever yeah. need. But, like, is is this a documented connection? Or is this on no. your... No, I'm... This I'm is your connection. Because, yeah. Yo, Jimbo is one of the, the things that I considered. I mean, that Bruce Willis film that they made, I don't even remember the name of it. Yeah. That's like a well, reinterpretation a of Yo, Jimbo. Yes. Um, I was like, why would I use that? Because I hate... I don't think that Bruce Willis film was good. It's certainly... Not by yeah, no stretch of the imagination better than Yojimbo, but so I had that on my mind, and I was thinking like, well, Miller's Crossing is is sort of the same situation. It's a little different because he's he's already on the Irish side, but he sort yeah, of, but he reaches across the aisle in like well, in he's, plays. He's both forced sides. to. He's, he is. He's forced ultimately to. forced to. Yes, he's cast out into no man's land. And he doesn't want to be on the Italian side. That's and, and I won't it, spoil it, it by saying it. what happens from there, because how it unfolds is really brilliant the and The cinematography, like that, and I, I wonder, is that Roger Deakins? We'll have to look. It I is, mean, yeah. It is. Yeah, I looked today at the list of films that he did for them, and he actually did Blood Simple. He did, I know. Yeah. He They've had him, and how they scored him for Blood Simple, I'll never know. Like, because he's, I mean, the yeah. journeyman DP, I it, mean, of all it time. It seems like he... Uh, he works with, it's not a tiny set of directors, but he... Well, John Sales, he shoots all of John Sales stuff. He works with the same set of directors over and over again, so there's obviously, there's like a values match or a vision match there, and that's yep. why he works with these people, yep. so I imagine they were able to attract him through the power of what they were trying to do with Have you ever read any interviews with him and like about like working with directors and how he... He's amazing. Like, if you ever get, if you ever have a free minute, which is tough, and you, and you want to be reading about cinematographers. Like, Roger Deakins is, has this... There's a quote that I read in a recent article with him in one of these film rags. I don't, it may have been American Cinematographer, where he was talking about, like, you know... Like, this is one of the most seasoned American cinematographers in history. And he's talking he's, about... He's, except he's British. Is he? Yeah. Fuck, what do I know? He works with all fucking American <laughs> yeah. American directors. Um, he talks about how, like, unless you're doing... He's very much a uh, um, sort of the rhythm section mentality of, like, he's a Philly Joe Jones type of guy where he's like, I'm here to elevate, elevate actors, elevate performances, elevate scenery, elevate, like... I'm, if I'm not noticed, that's a win. Right. You know what I mean? Which is a very different school than, you right. know, than many, many sure. shooters. Yep. Um, so, yeah, good, fucking great one, man. That's, and that is so overdue for a rewatching. I haven't seen that in ages. My buddy Nate Tynan is, that's one of, that's in his top five. And if you haven't read the uh, Hammett novels... Oh, Red God. Harvest is one of my favorite. It's definitely one of the best sort of hard-boiled detective fiction novels of all time. Oh, my God. All the Hammett novels, you can rip right through them. They're, if you haven't read those, you should go read everything you can from Hammett, including the Continental Op short stories and all that stuff. Well, but you're Red, a huge fan of those. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. And Red Harvest is like one of, if not the only, um, novel that actually features the Continental Op yeah. um, as a detective. So You've talked about that before. I swear to God, during this thing... I'm like a, 
I need to, t- like, I feel like half the time, um, I want to take notes. I'm doing it now to remind myself. All right. Well, while you're doing that, let's uh, wrap this one up, put this one in the books. Thank All you, right, everyone, man. for listening. Uh, once again, thanks as always. We're humbled by the gracious support of Kaya Fisher as our as audio always. engineer. And we hope to see you next time. Yeah, thanks everybody. That was fun. Good night. See ya.